0: This is part 8 of Summer at Victory. I'm incredibly thankful, Pastor Ben, I get to come up here this Sunday and next Sunday uh, to get to uh, speak to you guys about uh, some awesome, important things from God's Word. I'm not going to tell you what we're talking about today just yet, so nobody uh, hits the doors and runs out. So, uh, but, but let's just jump right in with that intro, okay? So, uh, we're going to go right to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, to see the message today. And just to give a little bit of context before we get into exactly what we're talking about today, the story, the context of the story we're going to read in Genesis chapter 3 is we're at the very beginning, okay? In case you didn't know, Genesis is the very beginning of the Bible. It's the first book. It's the story of creation. It's the story of Adam and Eve. That's what we're going to be looking at today. But the context of what we're about to read this morning is God, the Bible tells us that God created the universe, that He created, He spoke it into being And when he created the universe, it was good. It was good. It was a good creation. Everything he created from the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the seas, the animals, the people, everything he created was good. Everything that he created was good. But when he created the world, he created a garden in the middle of it for uh, Adam and Eve to live in. For all of eternity, to live in perfection for all of eternity. That was his design. That was his plan. And in the garden, in the very middle of the garden, he planted two trees. And it says that those two trees are the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what God told Adam and Eve was he said, you can eat from any tree in this garden. You can eat from any tree, anything, any fruit, anything that you see. You can eat from any tree in the garden except for this one The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat from it, the words he said were, if you eat from this one tree, you will surely die. You will certainly die. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The serpent here is the devil, Satan, the adversary, the enemy. He said to the woman, did God really say You must not eat from any tree in the garden. See, he's saying a lie right from the get-go. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. You will not surely die. Are you sure you'll die? Are you sure what God said is true? The serpent said to the woman, For God knows... That when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. God knew, but he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I'll jump along a little bit. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the truth. Sorry, to the tree of life. Today, what we're going to talk about today is sin. We're going to talk about sin this morning. And that's why I didn't say at the beginning when my left, okay? Uh, if you leave now, we all know why you're leaving. I'm just kidding. But uh, but we're going to talk about sin. And I want to be up front with you guys this morning. I grew up in a denominational church, and I hated hearing sermons about sin. Or I hated when the pastor was talking about whatever he was talking about, and then he would do his little tangent And just rail on this sin or rail on that sin or rail on Bob or Susie or this or that and rail on their sins, you know, just call out their dirty laundry in front of everybody. Y'all know I'm talking like I just whenever the pastor would talk about sin, I just had this like squirming feeling on the inside. I don't know if anybody else is like that, but that's how I felt growing up into the dominational church, and that was just how they dealt with sin. And I just want to be up front and say. This morning, I'm not going to point my finger at anybody. I'm not going to pull up your Facebook feeds and, you know, call you out or anything like that. I'm just going to say, I know that historically some churches in America maybe didn't always have the best approach when it came to dealing with sin. i am just be upfront. If you're new to church and you come in and that's your background, I acknowledge that, okay? Sometimes sometimes church meaning well has this incredibly harsh Condemnation feel of sin, and that's one end of the spectrum that I don't want to uh, venture into this morning. On the other hand, there's also this uh, different approach, I guess, that the world takes, and not just the world, not just our culture, but some churches even today have taken that the idea of sin itself has become unpopular. That the idea of of sin or right and wrong, the idea that there is a good and there is an evil, the idea of sin itself has become unpopular where people don't even want to acknowledge that sin exists there's even uh an entire major american city whose nickname las vegas is sin city and it's not it's not a penitent we are sinful is it no it's saying call it whatever you want we're gonna do whatever we want it's almost an acknowledgement of we don't believe in sin sin is a synonym for fun, right? Okay. Sin, we're going to we're gonna do whatever we want. We don't even believe in sin. We're going to do whatever we want. So what approach are we going to take today? This morning, my hope and my goal, my prayer is that we take a humble, but careful and considerate approach to what God's word has to say about sin. And not just what God's word says, because I believe that if you seek out truth, you will find, you will find Jesus. But I believe not just that, but experientially, right? Do you really, if you if you ever been stabbed in the back by somebody, do you really believe that there's no such thing as right and wrong? Like, if somebody betrays you, if somebody has left you when you were depending on them, deep down we all know that there is a thing called sin. Deep down we all know that there is right and there is wrong. And the the older I get, with each passing day, I see more and more the truth of this scripture in Romans chapter three, verse twenty three, that says. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Not just the sinners on the outside of the church. All of us. Everyone has fallen short of God's glory. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I long for the day that the Bible says that we will be perfected. Okay, But that day is not today, okay? We get more and more perfect every single day, but until the day that I take my last breath, I know that sin is going to be something I struggle with because my heart is still beating. And the same is true for all of us. We all have to deal with it, and that's why I want to talk about sin this morning. It's not fun to talk about sin, but it's useful because we all deal with it. It's something that we all deal with. So what's the correct approach? We're going to try and take a humble approach to God's word And I want to take a look at three things this morning. And the first one is what sin is. The second one is what sin does. And the third thing is the cure for sin. The cure for sin. And I'm just going to say from the get-go, I know Genesis chapter 3, there's thousands and thousands of details that we could go into and break down and and analyze and all that from the story in Genesis chapter 3. But we're going to take a little bit more of a bird's eye view this morning, okay? Look at those three big things that we get from that story. What sin is, what sin does, and the cure for sin. So if it's okay with you guys, I want to pray real quick before we continue on with the rest of the message. God, we just thank you that your word uh, is here to lead us, that your word is here to guide us. Holy Spirit, we just pray that uh, you would do something today, God. We just pray you'd open our eyes to see your word and to see truth, God, that we could leave today changed. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 So the first thing, what sin is, what sin is, in case you missed it, or if you didn't notice it, when we read through that first story in Genesis chapter three, the word sin isn't even mentioned in that story. The word sin isn't even mentioned. It's the first sin. It's what we call the original sin. It's the first sin in the Bible, but it's not even mentioned the word sin. The first mention of the word sin in the Bible is actually in the next chapter, in Genesis chapter 4, with Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. And look at what God says to Cain as he's struggling with the sinful thought, the sinful temptation to kill his brother Abel out of jealousy. God says to Cain, he says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And that word in Hebrew actually doesn't just mean accepted, but to be elevated, accepted and elevated? If you do what's right, are you not accepted and elevated? But if you do not do what is right, if you do what is wrong, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I love that this is the first mention of sin in the Bible because it gives us, I I believe, a three-dimensional approach of sin. A lot of times we have that one-dimensional idea, picture of sin that You know, sin is just breaking the rules. And that's the first uh, dimension of sin. What sin is. The first one is it's breaking a rule. It is. That's what God said in Genesis 4, 7. He says, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted and elevated? But if you do what is wrong, sin's crouching at your door and it desires to have you. It is breaking a rule. It is committing a crime. It is doing evil. It is the acknowledgement that there is a categorical absolute good and absolute evil. That there is a thing called good and there is a thing called evil. And sin is when we choose evil instead of choosing good. That's the first dimension of sin. But so many times we leave ourselves open to sin by only looking at that one dimension of it. It's just breaking a rule. Well, if it's just breaking a rule, I know like a hundred different Hollywood movies that show the rule breaker is the cool kid, right? No, the rule breaker is the cool kid in like every movie you ever see the hero. Somehow he's the rule breaker, but that's not all that sin is. That's not, it is breaking a rule. It is committing a crime. It is doing evil. I mean, think about this in the garden. How many rules did God give them? my parents of children at this morning I gave you one rule There's only one rule and they broke it right there was one rule and they broke it having kids again it's a very easy definition of sin to understand adam and eve were in the garden you can eat from any tree in the garden just don't touch that one and they're like this one right Or they get their finger real close. I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. And then they touch it, right? And I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest. This this week, as I was looking at this story, all my life, I've kind of had this question. If God created the garden, why did he put that tree in there in the first place? Again, because, like, if you have kids, again, you know, like, if there's something you don't want them to touch, you put it where they can't touch it, right? <laughs> That's what I always thought. Like, why would... If it's perfect, if God loves us, why did he put that garden... In, well, I'm sorry, why did he put that tree in the garden? Why is it there? And I realized this morning, if I ever been to like an escape room in town, you ever done one of the escape rooms? But if you don't know what escape room is, it's like a game where they lock you in a room and there's all these puzzles and keys and locks and all these things that you have to figure out to get out of the room in 60 seconds, okay? And so, but in the room, sometimes the rooms have little themes or something that are kind of scary. And so in the escape room... Where the only goal is to get out of the room, they have an exit door. Y'all know, like, it's like the emergency exit. If you get claustrophobic or if you get scary. And I'm there, I'm like, I just paid $40 to be locked in a room. I'm not taking the easy way out. Right? You know I mean? Like, I just, I'm, I'm staying here all 60 minutes, okay? Like, I will, even if we get out, I'm just going to, like, chill in the room. Like, get all my money's worth. You know what I mean? Like, and the funny thing is me and my wife, we took our kids uh, on vacation a couple weeks ago. We did an escape room while we were there and we were kind of wondering, like, had, you know, our our kids are like nine, eight, and six. I was like, I don't know, especially the little six-year-old girl. Like, I don't know, like, she might get a little scared or whatever. And the minute, like the timer started going, like little six-year-old girl, Emmy was like, like, don't, no, don't take that picture off the wall. Like, right? Like, oh, don't do that. Don't break that. Like, she was just like, no, no fear, nothing. And the reason I bring up the idea of the, the exit door is I realized from study. studying and seeing different commentaries, different stuff, is that's why the tree of good and evil was placed in the garden. It was basically, they're placed in paradise. They're placed in this place of perfect love and perfect relationship with God. They're placed in perfection. And God gives them an exit door. Because of his great love for them, is basically a way of showing us what God wants from us. It was free will. It was a choice. What God desires from all of us, what God desired from Adam and Eve in the beginning, was their choice of choosing Him. What He desired was free will. What He desired was love. And how many of you guys know, if there's no exit door, there's no possibility of love. If you just have your husband or wife in a headlock, (laughs) like, you're not going anywhere. The beauty of marriage The beauty of a relationship is that they choose you day after day after day after day. That's the beauty of relationship, the beauty of marriage, the beauty of love. And that's what God desired from each and every one of us. He said, I have all of this perfection before you. And I'm allowing you to choose what you want. And sin at its very core, the first dimension of it is breaking the rule, choosing the wrong thing choosing the wrong thing and the second dimension is missing the mark in the original hebrew that this was written in uh the word sin in genesis 4 7 is i'm not gonna pronounce it right probably like yeah like popcorn in the back of your throat right okay and what it means is is it was an archery term that literally meant missing the mark aiming for the bullseye and missing Aiming for something, coming up short. Missing the mark. And not just missing the mark, the other definition of it is to lose yourself. By missing the mark, you lose yourself. You miss out on the, on the goal that you're aiming for. You miss out on what God originally intended for you. You miss out on the perfection that God had in his mind for your life since before your life began. You miss out on the opportunity that God has right before you in that moment. You miss out on all that God had planned for you. You break the rule, you commit the sin, you do the wrong, and you miss out on what God has for you. Like we said earlier, God's plan was that they would be in the garden with Him forever. The tree is the knowledge of good and evil. How many of you have kids? Like You don't want them to lose that innocence, right? That's what the knowledge of good and evil... a a, a deep, intimate knowledge of what evil truly is. God's desire was that we would never have to experience that. If you've ever experienced, like I said, a broken heart, betrayal, hurt, evil, then you wish, I wish I had never experienced that. I wish I had never experienced that. And that was what God's plan was for us from the beginning, to dwell in paradise with him for all of eternity. And when they sinned, they didn't just break his rule. They missed out. They missed the mark. They were going to be naked in paradise with their spouse forever. And they missed out. And if you didn't say amen, I'm sure go ahead and advertise the EXO Marriage Conference coming up next year. That was what God's plan was. And they sinned. They broke the rule. They missed out. They missed out on what God had for them. And the third aspect, the third dimension of what sin is, it's not just breaking a rule, it's not just missing the mark, but it's slavery. It's slavery. Jesus said in John chapter 8, to a bunch of Bible-believing Hebrews people, part of God's chosen people, Jesus looks at them and they say, he says that they need to be set free. And they're like, set free? We've never been slaves to anybody. And Jesus looks at these Bible-believing Part of God's people crowd, and he says in John chapter 8, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Not just the sinners on the outside of the church, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone. Look at what, again, Genesis chapter 4, what did, you, again, the very first mention of the word sin, what does God say to Cain? He says, If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it what? It desires to have you. Sin is breaking the rule. Sin is doing wrong. Sin is missing the mark, but sin is slavery. Sin is slavery. You see in the story of Adam and Eve, the moment that they sinned, their behavior completely changed. They walked with God in the garden. They talked with God in the garden. When they heard his footsteps, it was it was a moment of excitement. It was a moment of, of, of passion. joy and love but the minute that sin comes in their entire uh, emotional state their entire mental state is completely changed completely under the control of something different it says when they heard the footsteps of god they were afraid they ran they hid from god sin isn't just breaking the rules sin is missing the mark and sin is slavery so that's what sin is hope everybody's encouraged this morning right yeah amen that's what sin is, but what what does sin do? What sin does? So we looked at what sin is, hopefully in a little bit more three-dimensional approach than you're maybe used to or you've ever heard or anything like that. But what does sin do? So if that's what sin is, not just breaking a rule, what 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 does sin do? Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this: The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And so, again, so many times that I've looked at this verse, I've looked at it and almost translated the word wages in my head as consequences. The consequences of sin is death. That would be accurate, but it's not a full, I think, fully accurate, right? It's the consequences of death, right? You do the job, you get paid, right? You do the job, You get paid your wages. In my mind, I've always looked at it and said, okay, if I do sin, I'm going to get paid death. If I do sin, I'm going to get paid death. And it's true, but it's not the full definition. Because I've always looked at it as the consequences of sin, the wages. Basically, I've always looked at it as the wages for sin is death. But it doesn't say that. It says the wages of sin is death. Which means that it gives us a little bit more perspective on the idea of sin as slavery. Because what it says is, is it says that sin is the one who's employing you in that moment. Sin is the one, sin is your boss in that moment. It's not just the thing you're doing, it's your boss. It's your slave master. It's telling you what it, the way to think. It's telling you all that. And it's saying in return, or doing what sin wants you to do it will pay you death every time, on time. The wages of sin is death. And we see that in the garden. Well, how do we see that in the garden? They didn't die. And that's what the, the snake said, what the devil said to them. Be, You're not, you won't surely die. They didn't die, did they? But did they? And Jesus shouted, Chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, it says that when Adam heard the Lord walking in the garden, what is it that he did? He ran from God. He hid from God. He separated himself from the source of love, joy, peace, and life. When he sinned, when he ran, he separated himself from life. For breaking down what sin is today? Can we break down what death is? Isn't death little more than just the separation from life? That's what sin is. It brings death without without exception. It brings death. Whether it may not be the ending of your life right now, that death is going to bring some kind of death. Adam ran from life. In that moment, think about it. He sinned. He sinned. He made the mistake. I'm looking at this story as I'm reading it. And the more and more I read it this week, I was just like looking at it and I found myself almost like being like, you know, the baseball coach, like I, I coached my kids baseball, you know, this past year and I loved it. It was so rewarding. It was amazing. But one of the most frustrating things about it is being the, the, the base coach. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? So like in baseball, there's the base coaches and they're telling the kids when to run, which direction to run, Y'all know what I'm talking and y'all know what I'm talking about? And and this year, like they're like learning the basics of like baseball of like, okay, I'm on the base and if there's one out uh, and there's a fly ball, I don't run. But if there's two outs, I do run. And if there's a man on second, then I shouldn't run until he runs. And if there's, I'm on second, there's a man on first, then I do run. But if I'm on second, there's not a man on first, then I don't run. And we expect the eight year olds to be like, got it. But being the age I am and like watching baseball my whole life, all the the dads in here, you have a little bit better grasp of that than the kids do on the bases. And so you see them and you just like, you could see it in their eyes. The minute the ball hits the bat and it's either a fly ball or a ground ball and you turn and you look at the kid at second, it's almost like slow motion. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And they're going the wrong direction. And you just, it's like, no. You're like, don't go there. You're running the wrong way. Run back that way. That's how I felt when I was reading the story, looking at Adam in that moment. That he sinned. He had made the mistake. He had broken God's rule. He had missed the mark. And in the moment where he heard God, the source of love, the source of redemption, the source of life, he ran the wrong way. He ran the wrong way. He ran towards death. And that is what sin is. The consequences, the wages of sin is death. What sin does is it brings death. I like think so many times we look at sin and we would define it as just simply breaking a rule, but I think the a more whole rounded approach to sin is sin is the slavery that leads to death sin is the slavery that leads to death and i just want to be honest out there if there's anybody who maybe you're new to church or maybe you've been in church a whole lot and you just you had these thoughts in your head right you, it's easy for me as a pastor to be up here and be like sin is slavery sin leads to death And then you might be out there. You might be watching online. You might be like Okay, but i've done sin and it's pretty fun I mean, I just want to be honest, right? I, sometimes <laughs> Like the church I grew up at, you know, some american churches like they don't upfront front with you like yeah No sin is totally fun it's Sin, in that moment, it's a blast, okay? It's amazing. Sin is so much fun in the moment. But I would put to you this morning that if the poison weren't sweet, nobody would drink it. Skydiving is fun. Never tried it, but I've heard it's fun, okay? Skydiving is fun. But sin is like skydiving without the parachute. You feel all the same emotions, it's just one ending is a little more messy. I've heard it described as a mousetrap, right? You can you can get a mousetrap, and you can spend thousands of dollars on this the best tasting cheese in the world from France. that's like a hundred years old or whatever. I mean, call me crazy, call me an American, but I think the best tasting cheese is Velveeta. Okay, all right, <laughs> but. You slap that bad boy on a mousetrap, the cheese doesn't immediately become disgusting. Unless it's a used mousetrap, okay? But the cheese doesn't become... I don't know where that thought came from, sorry. The, The cheese doesn't immediately become disgusting just because it's on a mousetrap. It just becomes deadly. It doesn't become disgusting, it just becomes deadly. And that's what sin does. Sin is the slavery that leads to death. And again, I think another objection would be, okay, you're saying there's those consequences. I'm saying that even if it's not the end of your life, it can be emotional death. It could be relationship death. It could be financial death. It could be mental health death. God knows what he has planned for us. He knows the perfection that he desires and wants for our life. And when we miss the mark, we miss out on the life that he has for us there is death that is involved then and I think you might be out there saying then okay but what about what about the sin where there's no consequences what about the sin that I do in secret what about the sin that I can get away with what about that sin then the the trap never falls I was the quick mouse right There's a very influential psychologist who did therapy for decades and decades, and he says that in all his time of therapy and counselings and all that, what he says is no one ever gets away with anything. And then he adds for emphasis, ever. Whenever he gets to whatever problem it is that they're having, at the root of it is some sin, some mistake, some imperfection, some wrong that's just been haunting them. The famous Russian novelist Dostoevsky wrote his classic novel, Crime and Punishment, all about that theme. All about the idea that even if you get away with it, even if no one knows about it, you know about it. And deep down in our hearts, even though culture wants to say there's no such thing as sin, we know deep down in our hearts that there is something called sin. And deep down in our hearts, we all know that we're guilty of it. And the whole idea of crime and punishment is the idea that even if you get away with it, it will haunt you. It will distort you. It will warp you. The quote that he says in it, he's speaking about the main character who commits this gruesome uh, murder. And he says, if he has a conscience, he will suffer for his mistake. And that will be punishment as well as his prison. The idea that we know that what we've done is wrong. And it will not just be our punishment, it'll be our prison that we can't escape from. He goes even further, the the main character again, he has all these good reasons for for killing the the person that he kills, right? He has all these good, he's a poor man in the middle of a poor city, St. Petersburg, he has all... Every good, this is a, a terrible old woman who's just mean to everybody, takes advantage of the poor. She's hoarded up all this wealth because she's taken advantage of all the poor people in the city. And he looks at her and he says, I'm going to kill this woman. And look at, after days and days of him just being haunted by what he's done, he says this line, he says, did I murder the old woman? I murdered myself, not her. I crushed myself once for all, forever. Because sin is not just breaking a rule. Sin is the breaking of ourself. It's missing out on what God had intended for us. It's missing out on what God has for us. It's missing out. It's slavery. It warps us. It changes us. When we sin, we are slaves. And what we get paid for it is death. Sin is slavery that leads to death. Even the fun sins, even the sins that we think we've gotten away with. Sin is slavery that leads to death. It leads to emotional death. It leads to relationship death. It leads to financial death. It leads to mental health death. And most of all, it leads to eternal death. Which if we're breaking down sin, we're breaking down death. Let's break down hell. That's what hell is. It's the eternal separation from life. The eternal separation from God. God the eternal separation from heaven, the eternal separation from from what God had intended for us. Sin is the slavery that leads to death. Why are we talking about it this morning? When I could have had an encouraging message. Come on, I invited my friend this morning, sorry. Why? Because to go back to the beginning, it's something we all deal with. if you've been saved for decades if you claim to be without sin you deceive yourselves if you're outside of the church we all deal and wrestle with sin so we looked at what sin is we looked at what sin does but now i do want to encourage you and i want to talk about the cure for sin and hopefully we could do what 1st timothy 6:19 what paul says there we can take hold of that which is truly life the cure for sin If we look back at Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, this other dimension of sin that I, I, I don't want us to miss out on today is this. Sin is the slavery that leads to death. Even the fun ones, even the ones you get away with, you think. Sin is slavery that leads to death. It's the breaking of the rule. But what the Bible shows us, even at the beginning, is that all sin must be paid for. Every sin must be paid for. Every sin must be paid for. The main character in crime and punishment, he doesn't find redemption. He doesn't find the escape from his prison until he confesses what he's done. Until he goes to to prison for what he's done and he finds new purpose and new hope there. The truth is, is that yes, sin is the slavery that leads to death. It's something we all deal with, but there is a cure God gives us all the first choice in life. Choosing relationship with him, choosing perfection, or choosing death. And the truth is we all choose that death. We all choose sin. The Bible says we've all sinned. If you have a kid, it's not that hard to believe, right? Don't touch that. Touch this. We all have sinned. We all make the mistake. And because of it, we all begin to feel our soul, our heart, our mind start to just pull away disintegrate, death, die. We start to feel it. But the truth is, after that first choice that we mess up so royally, God gives us a second choice. And it's rooted in this, the fact that all sin must be paid for. We look at it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Look at what happened. They sinned. They ran from God. Everything that could have went wrong, everything they could have done wrong, they did wrong. But look at what God does before he sends them out of the garden. They had tried to cover up their inadequacy. They had tried to cover up their, 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 their nakedness, their, their falling short. They tried to cover up their mistakes. They tried to cover up their shame. They tried to cover up their sin. They tried to cover it up. And I'm just like, leaves, right? Really? Leaves? probably was like already falling off them when god found them right first time clothes had ever been made and they did with leaves you know like but it says that god comes and he makes garments of skin for adam and his wife and he clothes them that's grace because god didn't need to do that did he god could have looked at them in their shame and been like yeah you should be ashamed but in a moment of grace, and in a moment of incredible tenderness, and in a moment of incredible love, God covers them, and not just covers them. All throughout the Old Testament, the way that people would worship God and show them how much they loved Him was through sacrifice, by the killing of something, showing God how much they loved Him. But if you look at the very first sacrifice in the Bible... The very first sacrifice is God's sacrifice of the animal to clothe Adam and Eve so that they wouldn't have to be ashamed. God killed something to cover them, to cover their shame, to cover their inadequacy, to cover over their mistakes. And the beauty of that is God is saying, all sin must be paid for. But I'm going to give you one last choice, and that is you can pay for your sin or you can let me pay for your sin. The killing of that animal points us to the beauty of the lamb of God who came. And that was Jesus, his one and only son. And the Bible says that he came to die as a sacrifice to pay for our sins, to cover over our sins. Not just temporarily like some fig leaves, but for all time, for eternity So that you don't have to pay for your sins with the eternal death, the eternal separation from God. But he died on the cross as the sacrifice to cover over us. And that's why Paul could say in Romans chapter 13, he could say, rather, don't clothe yourselves with all these attempts at trying to cover over your shame and your sin. But clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify The sinful nature, the desires of the flesh. Don't be a slave to sin anymore. Put Jesus on. Put the sacrifice, the death of Jesus, Him dying on the cross for you and for me, and I love it. What is Jesus on the cross? What is He doing? The, The pose that we see everywhere. The most famous thing that Jesus has ever done that's all over. If you ask anybody, believer, non-believer, they know what Jesus did. What was it? What is his pose on the cross? It's arms stretched out. Arms stretched out wide of open embrace. Of come to me. You see, if at the beginning in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was Adam and Eve taking that exit door out of a relationship with him and into death. Jesus on the cross is the exit door from a life of slavery to sin into life. In the same way God covered over Adam and Eve, even more so because that was just some temporary covering. God wants to cover over your sin with the sacrifice and the love of his son. Now, forevermore, for all time for every sin you've ever committed, every sin you ever will commit. All sin must be paid for. God says you can pay for it or you can accept the fact that Jesus has already paid for it on the cross. How do we escape sin? How do we find what the cure for sin is? It's just like Paul says, clothe ourselves in Christ. Accept the gift of that that clothing that he's giving to us. Accept that. Take that exit door out of slavery and out of sin and into life. Accept the gift. Accept the sacrifice that he's done. And for those of us who have maybe already accepted it decades ago, remember, it's like clothes. Put it on every day. Remind ourselves of how deep the problem of sin is in our life. That we have to clothe ourselves every day. How deep... uh, Look at it this way. Our sin is so serious. It's such a serious problem that it took the son of the living God to die to pay for yours and for my sin. But at the same time, God loves us so much that he did it willingly. And I'm going to tell you something. The cure for evil is for love. Love. I love that that quote from Martin Luther King Jr. where he says, Hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. It's the same in our lives. The only thing that can drive evil out of your life is a glimpse of the goodness of God. The only thing that can drive out the, the urge for slavery and sin and all of that is to look at the immense, incredible, immeasurable love that God has for us. That even while we were sinners and we didn't deserve it, Jesus died on the cross for us willingly to cover over our shame, to cover over our sin. And that's powerful. I can't just come up before you and say, stop sinning. But I can point you to the power of the love of Jesus Christ. Because when we see him, the Bible says, we're changed. It doesn't just say, stop sinning. It says, look at Jesus. When we see him, we're changed. So how do we do it? I want to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. How do we do it? The bible says that we admit that we're sinners We believe that jesus died for us and he was rose again and that we confess we commit our lives to him We confess he's lord of our life It's a whole lot of words, but it's an all-in-one thing of accepting his sacrifice Taking the exit door from sin and its slavery and its power over your life And instead saying god i'm not going to clothe myself with all these feeble attempts to cover my shame Instead i'm going to cover myself with you I'm going to become your child. I'm going to give my life to you, control over to you. doesn't mean you don't make mistakes anymore, but it means that he has the power over your life, not sin. If you want to accept that sacrifice today, if you want to go from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life this morning, I'm just going to ask you to do one simple thing this morning. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and pray this prayer with us. We're not going to single you out. I'm not going to call you up in front of everybody, just wherever you're at. And everyone in the room is going to pray this prayer out loud with you. So you're not going to be singled out. If you're watching in online with us, I encourage you to pray with us as well. But if that's you and you want to accept the sacrifice that Jesus gave to sin over your life, every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody's looking around, ask right now that you would just raise your hand that we could see it. Amen. Amen. Amen for those hands. Amen. Anybody else? This is what I want to do this morning, everybody. You put your hands down. Everybody who raised your hands or didn't raise your hands, everybody in the room, I ask you just pray this prayer with me this morning. We're gonna pray the prayer of salvation. Again, it's not the words, but it's your heart reaching out, accepting God's sacrifice that saves you. It's not the words. But then I want to pray it after that for everybody in the room altogether. That we would have the power and the guidance and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So, everybody in the room, let's let's pray for those who pray with those who raise their hands. Everybody, just repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I know I've made mistakes, and I've separated myself from you. But I accept your sacrifice. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose again. I confess that you are the Lord of my life. And I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. For those who raise their hands, can we put our hands together for them? We are so incredibly proud of you. It's the best decision you've ever made. We're so incredibly proud of you. I want to pray real quick for everybody in the room before we leave. Just a prayer. That we would commit our lives to that clothing of ourselves. Let's pray. God, we just I pray for every single person in here, Lord. God, whether they just got saved, whether they've been saved for decades, Lord, God, that we wouldn't ever graduate from the gospel, that we would never move on from the power of your love and your sacrifice on the cross. But God, that we could daily remember, daily focus in on the fact that sin is crouching at our door, desiring to take us back again. But God, we just thank you that your blood, your sacrifice, God, it pays for sin once and for all. Lord, help us. Give us the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit every day to conquer death, to conquer sin, to conquer over it in our relationships, in our finances, in our our workplace, in our homes. God, help us, Lord. Give us wisdom and strength every day. And we thank you, Lord, for the power to overcome it that comes from your love, that comes from your sacrifice on the cross. We love you and we thank you for it. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Can everybody say a good amen this morning? Amen. Let's put our hands together for Jesus this morning.